if I could give some advice to 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 people that are that are wanting to go in ministry or wanting to pastor is is get out there and win somebody get out there and win the unchurched and yes we want the backslider to come home yes we want the lukewarm to get on fire but really the real deal is we want the unchurched we want people that know nothing about this right we want people that are hungry and there are a lot of hungry people out there Welcome to the Hacker Podcast. My name is Greg Hackathorn. I hope you all are doing well. Today we are blessed to be joined by Richard Granquist. He is a wonderful man of God that has been involved in active ministry for over 52 years as an evangelist, pastor, and presbyter. He's ministered all across America and the world with his wife, Nancy Granquist, who we hope to have on the podcast in the future. That would be fantastic. And he mentioned after the interview that she is uh, more than willing to come on, so we look forward to that. Brother Granquist has a wealth of knowledge and wisdom to share that can only be acquired through years and years of faithful ministry. Before we get to that, I do want to share a recent five-star review that we received from a listener in Australia. It says, Outstanding. The great topics of discussion and highly regarded guest interviews makes this an outstanding podcast that any apostolic or Christian in general would enjoy. I have enjoyed hearing about people's upbringings, testimonies, and stories where Jesus has stepped in, inspiring and faith-building. Thank you for taking the time to leave that thoughtful review. We just recently hit 20 reviews worldwide, which is great, but I know there are more than 20 of you out there listening to this podcast. In fact, I realized last week that I was being a bit of a hypocrite with asking you all to leave reviews for the podcast when I hadn't left a review for several apostolic podcasts that I'd listened to for months and even years. These are weekly podcasts that I listen to, or every couple of weeks I'll listen to them. So I made up for my hypocrisy by leaving a number of reviews on podcasts that I enjoy listening to. So with that in mind, if you have time to rate and review the show where you listen to it, I would be grateful because it really does make it easier for new people to discover the show in your country where you do listen to it. And we've had uh, the podcast reviewed in four different countries. So it'd be great if we can add a few more to that list because I know it's been listened to in over 29 different countries around the world. One last thing. Make sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and even Hacka.org. We love interacting with you all, and Facebook and Instagram is a great way to connect with us during the week. So we'd love to see you over there. Now that we have taken care of all of that, let's get to my conversation with Richard Granquist. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Brother Granquist. It's an honor. I'm glad to be with you guys. I like to start out these conversations by getting to know the guests a little bit, especially for those in the audience who may not know you. So if you wouldn't mind, Brother Cranquist, sharing with us a bit about your background, you know, where you grew up, uh, how you first got involved in ministry, that sort of thing. So if you wouldn't mind sharing with us. I was raised in San Jose, California. I came into the church at a very young age, I was 12 years old when God filled me with the Holy Ghost. I, I came in under a revival with Verbal Bean, which back in those 
those early days of Pentecost, he was a, a legend and mm. we came in under his ministry. And so we got the Holy Ghost in November of 1960. I can't even believe I'm wow. that old. 1960, <laughs> God filled me with the Holy Ghost. And we were living in San Jose, California. At that time, San Jose was all prune orchards. Mm. It was a young boy's delight. I mean, as far as the eye could see, it was prune orchards. We'd run through those prune orchards and play until dark. And it, it was just an amazing, amazing childhood. So when I reached the age of 17, 18, I, I went to Bible college. I graduated from a high school in San Jose, California, and I, I, I graduated and I went straight into Bible college. I went to Stockton, California. It was called Western Apostolic Bible College. Oh, wow. And all the, all the guys in school made fun of that. They said it was really Western Apostolic Bridal College because <laughs> everyone that came was looking for a, a wife. And I started in 1966. The Vietnam War had just geared up. Mm. I went down the selective service and I, I, I registered and they said, uh, okay, we're, we're going to draft you. I said, well, now, wait a minute, guys, I'm going to go into Bible college. They said, oh, well, that's a different story. So because you're going to be in Bible college, we're going to give you a, a 4D deferment. Wow. So I went to Bible college and it was a huge class that, that 1966 in that freshman class, it was unheard of, but they had like 90 kids in that, in that class. And I would say that probably 95% of the guys that were in my, my class were there just to miss the draft. No way. We had a few guys that were serious about ministry and they wanted to be a minister. They wanted to be a preacher. So uh, there were a few that were really had a, a real burden, a real desire to participate in, in ministry. So it was there at Bible college that I met my wife. Nancy Jorgensen at the time. They had a, a high school and they also had a college and it was all in the same dorms. And these these girls were in the dorm with college girls, the high school girls. So Nan was very young when she came to Bible college. She was only 14 and she was incredibly talented. Mm -hmm. And all of all of the guys that were at Bible college, not just in my class, but all the other classes, they, they wanted to date Nan. In fact, Nan did date a guy named Tim Dugas. Tim Dugas went on to be the president of Gateway Bible College, pastored a great church in St. Louis. Yeah. And I, I was really thankful that this guy's dad, brother Paul Paul Dugas, he was the, the, the vice president of the college at the time. He actually made Tim break up with my wife because he considered Nan too worldly. <laughs> and I was kind of glad that he did that yeah. because that gave me an opportunity to step <laughs> in. And I, I did. And I, I, I never looked back. We got married in uh, December 20 of 1969. And I, I had just turned 21 and Nan had just turned 18. Wow. And that was some 52 years ago, December 20, 52 years ago that we'd been married. Wow. And I, I have a motto. I'm a one God man, and I'm a one woman man. Amen. Amen. I just need one God, and I just need one woman. That's and right. so Nan has been an incredible partner in ministry. We've actually, after we got married, we 
and finished my year there in Bible college. We got married December, and because we got married in December, we could only we could only go on a very short honeymoon because there was a two-week break there. Mm-hmm. And my stepfather said, if you'll wait until June, I'll send you anywhere in the world for your honeymoon. But if you don't wait until June and you get married in December like you want to get married, I'm only going to give you $200. Oh. So I ran that by my wife. My wife said, hey, we're not waiting. We're not waiting. We're going to get married. <laughs> So my stepfather was true to his words. He only gave me $200 <laughs> instead of sending me on a world trip because I was going to really, we we're going to go everywhere we wanted to go for our, our honeymoon. And, but yet that was the, the situation. So then Nan and I, we evangelized for 10 years full time. Mm. We never had a break. Wow. God was so good to us. In fact, I, I can't believe that we actually started our evangelistic ministry in the state of Texas. Texas at, at the time was was very competitive, mm-hmm. and I'm really shocked that we could actually get started in Texas, which we did, and we evangelized for 10 years. Did you start that while you were in Bible college? I didn't. I, okay. I, I started preaching out after, of course, I evangelized. Well, I take that back. We went one year back to San Jose with Papa Shoemake. Mm-hmm. He wanted us to assist him. From there... We evangelized for 10 years yeah. and we, we never had a break. It was wow. just a, a beautiful experience. After 10 years of ministry, the Lord called me to take a church. It was a little small church. It was in Menlo Park, California, and it was known as the preacher's graveyard. Mm. I had some of my mentors that said, please don't go there. We don't feel good about it. I prayed about it. And I, I've heard the audible voice of God twice in my life. And the first time I heard the audible voice of God, we were still evangelizing. I had a little home down in Tulare. I had a little garden. I love garden. I love plants. I right now have 45 vintage roses that I've planted here on my property here in Morgan Hill. Wow. So I was in working in the little garden and I was working with my head kind of looking naturally towards the ground. And I heard a voice. And this voice was was the Lord, the Lord speaking to me. And he said, do you love me? Mm. And it, it startled me because it was so, so clear that I, I looked around. I thought someone was behind the fence because there was an open field behind my property there at the fence line. And I thought someone had was talking to me, but I realized it was the Lord. And I said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, if you love me, he put the stipulation, if you love me, I want you to take my church in Menlo Park, California. Mm. Wow. And I thought, oh, God, I love you, but uh, I just I don't I don't think I can do that. We'd already preached there and I felt like that I didn't want to go there. And he said, if you love me, you're going to take it. Hmm. So I went into the kitchen. We had a little home that we love, a little small home there in Tulare. And I told my wife, I said, honey, we're going to have to go to, to Menlo Park. We're going to have to go pastor that church. And she says, oh, God, no. Why? I said, well, the Lord just spoke to me. And if we love him, I, I, I've got to do this. So she was so upset. She fell on her knees. I'll never forget it. She was crying. She said, please. I said, honey, I can't fight. I can't fight God. I can't fight the will of God. I've got to do this. Mm. I've got to go. And, and so uh, she said, if we go then. I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy a hundred pound bag of, of pinto beans. I'm going to buy a hundred pound bags of rice. At least if we go there, we won't starve. <laughs> so I went and I preached for this little church and, and they, uh, the only, the only requirement they put on me, they said, we want you to be full time. Hmm. 
I said, how, how much does the church bring in? They said $150. I'd already looked at, at, at houses, my house payment, which I wish you could get a house for that now in San Jose, but it was $1,200 a month. <laughs> so you do the math real quick on that. You're not even going to be able to make your house payment, much less all the other things that come along with, with a young family and, and a house. That was $150 per week? Per week. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I said, I said, well, guys, you know, uh, uh, okay. And so they said, well, well let, let's, let's vote on you. I said, all right. And they had two people that were literally mentally challenged. I mean, they were, they were really mentally challenged. They, they voted yes, but out of eight votes, I only got six yeses and two no's. But the, the two that were mentally challenged, they voted yes for me. And so I, I said, all right, guys, uh, I, I'm going to do this. And I was praying the first week. I was praying in front of that little altar, and God spoke to me. It wasn't an audible voice, but I felt God speak to me and say, uh, I'm going to take care of you. Hmm. And, and the Lord gave me a figure per week that I was going to, to make. And he said, it will never go below this. And the whole time we pastored there, God either made up that sum each week or even doubled that sum each week because God took care of us. It was a miraculous, miraculous. <laughs> when you trust God, when you step out on faith, God takes care of you. Amen. I had a guy that, that was, uh, we won this guy through Bible studies. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later on because I really feel that if we're going to be in ministry, we need to be soul winners. We need to win mm. people. We need to win the unchurched. Right. And, and so I won this guy, and his job was tearing down buildings in San Francisco. And he drove an 18-wheeler. And he was tearing down this old building. It was on the Barbary Coast. That's where all the old gambling casinos from the 20s were, were on that, that particular area of, of San Francisco. He was tearing down this, this old building. And he was pulling into the dump, and right before he got to the gate of the dump, the Lord said, pull over. And he, he pulled over, and, and, and God said, dig in your truck. He says, God, I'm supposed to dump this in the dump. Why am I going to dig in it? And the Lord said, dig in your truck. So he, he started digging in his truck, hands and knees like a dog, throwing dirt between his legs. Some of his buddies were driving by in other 18-wheelers. They are waving at him saying, hey, Bob, Bob Haney's lost it. He's, he's, he's crazy <laughs> digging in his truck. But after the third handful of debris, silver dollars started falling between his fingers. Oh, wow. And he said, oh, I get it, God. Dig in my truck. The safe, unknowings to him and the people tearing down, demolishing the building, the old safe was in the back of his truck, had broke open, and it had $10,000 in silver in the back of his truck. Oh, man. He filled up four backpacks, brought it home to his wife, he threw it down on the floor. It, one of them spilled open. Silver dollars are flying. They were so poor, they had egg crates and blow-up furniture in their little apartment. And she started screaming, I'm rich. I'm rich. He says, no. He said, that's for my preacher. That's for our pastor. He needs money. He needs to put a roof on the building. He needs to paint the building. Because this little Jewish synagogue I inherited had never had service on, never been painted. The roof was leaking. It was it was a dreadful little building. At least I had a building. So he 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 brought all that all that money on a on a midweek service on a Thursday night. Two huge backpacks full of silver. And my little ushers are standing up there with their little plates. One drops in <laughs> one plate, the other drops in the other plate, and they, they almost they almost 
they almost dropped it because it was so heavy. Yeah. And he gave that. Wow. So we 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 sold the silver and we got over ten thousand dollars. It was like somewhere around fifteen thousand dollars that we sold that. We took that money, we did some painting, we need did some roofing, we need did some repair on the building. But the point is, if God tells you he's going to take care of you, God will take care of you. Amen. Amen. That's if awesome. he says he's going to call you to a ministry, mm. he will provide for you. Yes. Because you have to have faith. Being in ministry, you have to listen to God. You've got to trust God. You've got to trust his voice. You've got to trust what he has to say. Because mm. you've got to trust him. It's mm. important. Yeah. We say we have faith. We say we trust God, but do we really? Mm. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, when I was walking in front of that little altar and I was worried about how in the world am I going to make ends meet? I'm not even going to make my house payment. God spoke and put that number in my heart and he never, ever failed me. That's we amazing. had one miracle after the other. God always, always took care of us. So if you want to go in ministry, the best advice I can give you is you have to, to first of all, love people mm -hmm. and you've got to love God. Yeah. Love people, love God. And then when you get those two things down and then you've got to trust him, hmm. you've got to rely on him to take care of your needs. I've never really worried about getting a sermon because if you really, really trust God and love God, he will give you the thoughts. Hmm. He will give you the message. I, I'm, I'm old school, naturally. I, I actually write my, all of my sermons by hand with the fountain pen. And I write them in these old half leather journals that I bought in Venice. And I write all of my sermons out like, like that. Yeah, I remember seeing that when you came to Australia, you showed it to me and I was like, that... That is absolutely incredible. I, I sometimes have problems reading my iPad. I, I, I can't believe that you're able to preach full sermons re just reading your well, handwriting. It, well, I, I, I probably, no one else can read my handwriting, by the way. <laughs> I, can, I can decipher it. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's just when, when you do God's work, I've, I've discovered God will always take care of you. Mm. Miracles never look like miracles. I preached a message years ago about that. Miracles never look like miracles. They only look like problems. They only look like difficulties. They only look like illnesses. They, they, they look like a, a, a huge difficulty in your life mm. because miracles disguise themselves. Yeah. Miracles don't ever look like miracles. It, it looks like trouble. Yeah. It looks like despondency. It, 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 it looks like a trial. It looks like sickness. Yeah, because if you if you never have any issues, then what what's the need for a miracle? If you if you're not facing any problems, if you're not having Absolutely. any difficulties, then then Absolutely. you don't need God. And actually, I uh, I messaged you a few years ago, I think it was now, and uh, I actually preached a sermon with that exact same title, piggybacking off of. Uh, <laughs> I think you preached it here in Sydney. Uh, love that I message. Think I did. Beautiful. I, I yeah. Think I, did. I think I did. So I've been, I've been in ministry now. I've had a license with the United Pentecostal Church for 52 years. I, mm. I can't even believe I'm that old, but I've, 52 years. And we have, we have traveled the world. We evangelized from coast to coast for those 10 years. 
we've, we've ministered. In fact, my wife has actually ministered in more countries than I have. Mm-hmm. Nan now has 99 countries. Wow. On her. She's been in 99 countries. Who's going to be the lucky 100? I don't know. She <laughs> wanted to go to Norway. She wanted to go to Norway. She was in Sweden here a while back. She wanted to go to Norway. That would have made it uh, 100, but Norway was all closed down at the time. Along those lines, would you mind sharing with us a life-changing story from your travels ministering overseas? One of the most life-changing experiences in ministry I've ever had was in Papua New Guinea. Mm. It was back when Richard Carver, I think he's Australian, Richard Carver, was in in Papua New Guinea. And uh, this was the dad. I think Richard Jr. now is, uh, Richard Carver Jr. is there in Yep, he's the general superintendent there. He has license, I think, with the uh, Australian district. And, and so we went there to preach for him. He always did this this Easter uh, Easter crusade, whatever you want to call it. But I, I've, I've never seen people so hungry for God mm, as the people in Papua New Guinea. And Brother Carver said, now, now Grandquist, he said, don't even act like you're going to give the altar call until you're really ready to give the altar call. And I, I thought he was putting me on. I thought, well, it, they, they can't be that hungry. They can't mm. be that hungry for God. And, and they, they actually were so hungry for the Lord. They were standing there the first night. They're standing there in the rain. And 90% of them didn't even have shoes. Wow. And they're standing in the rain and they're listening to this message with umbrellas. And they were, they were just crammed so close to the, to the platform you could just you could reach out and touch them. They were just they were so close. And then that night I just said, hey, just just lift your hands right where you're at and God will fill you with the Holy Ghost. I think in that week uh, crusade, I, I, I believe there were over 100 that received the Holy Ghost in Amen. that particular meeting. It was a it was a, a life changing meeting. I actually took my son in law, Gilbert Gomes, who went with me on that trip and he did some of the day things for some of the youth. And it was it was phenomenal. So when mm-hmm. I did get a chance to give an altar call, I've never seen people that hungry. They literally they were shoving one another, poking one another. They were they were pushing and shoving people out of the way to try to get to the altar first. Mm-hmm. And when they got there, there was no warm ups. I mean, they were immediately worshiping and crying and seeking God. It was it was really a, a truly a life changing experience. So was that up in the? Did you go up in the mountains because? I went yeah. a few years ago with my pastor. He was asked to do it, and I traveled mm-hmm. with him, and I was blessed to be able to minister to the conference as well as to the youth there. But we, the one that we did was in Port Moresby, so it was air-conditioned and all of that. You went oh, up in the man. mountains? You guys had it made. Oh, were, yeah. I think Garoka. I yeah, think Garoka, in, that's right. Yep. Mountains. Mm-hmm. And that one was, <laughs> that one was uh, pretty hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty, pretty humid. Just wanted to ask you, uh, Brother Grandquist, so you're talking about how if you want to be involved in, in ministry, that you should love God and love people. Do you have any other advice that you would give someone who feels the call to ministry beyond that? Uh, yes, yes. If you're going to go in ministry, realize it's not all about the pulpit. Mm. When we think about ministry, when we think about preaching, we think about the pulpit. And really, that's just a very, very small, small segment of, of ministry. I am big on teaching life studies, Bible mm-hmm. studies. I'm yep. big on that. 
and I, I, I promoted that for a long, long time. And one of my greatest successes recently has been, I've been teaching the chief of the San Jose Police Department. He has 120 officers below him. I've been teaching him a couple lessons on baptism, infilling of the Holy Ghost and repentance. Mm. So if, if you're gonna be in ministry, it, it's more than just the pulpit. Yes, we've got to study. Yes, we've got to pray. My ministry has always been the ministry of encouragement. Mm -hmm. I'm a decent communicator. I'm a, I'm a decent teacher. I'm a decent preacher. But my real strong point in ministry is encouragement. So you've got to find your niche. Mm. It would be so foolish if you're going into ministry to try to compare yourself to anyone else. Right. That's the biggest trap you can ever fall into. Don't compare your ministry to anyone else's ministry because you have a unique ministry. That's Mine's right. encouraging. Mm -hmm. And so when you, when, you, when you actually teach the word of God to someone one-on-one, -on -one, there is nothing like it in the whole world. No, it's amazing. When you see the light go off, and I told this guy, this, this chief of police, I said, now, when God fills you with the Spirit, when you get the Holy Ghost, you're not going to have to tell the people that are below you, the officers that are below you. They're going to know something's happened mm. in your life. They're going to know that something has changed in your life. Mm -hmm. And at the time I was teaching him, he was suffering from, I forget what they actually call it, but he was suffering from, like, he, he was the main guy that was in charge of the riots in San oh, Jose. Yeah. He had all kinds of cement thrown at him, wow. rebar thrown at him. So he said, I, I'm going through some, some rough times from, for me just to be here with you, mm. you teaching me here in your home. He said, that, that is, that's something that, that I didn't even think I'd be able to do because I've been going through all this. But when you go into ministry, there's, there's just nothing like it. Right. Nothing like it in the whole world. I, I love it. Off the back of what you were just saying about being an encourager and, and realizing that, you're, that that is your gifting, Mm -hmm. You've always invested in the next generation. I myself, I know that because you send me messages of encouragement. You're just an incredible man of God. And uh, you. you encourage the next generation. You mentor them. Why do you feel that that is so important to invest in the next generation of ministers? Because they are the ones that are going to carry this ball on. They're mm -hmm. going to be the ones that are going to, the baton's going to be passed to them. They're going to carry it on. I was presbyter here in my section just here a couple years ago, and I had six pastors in my section that are all younger. And it was such, such an encouragement, even for me, to be able to just touch these guys, encourage these guys, and, and just be, be that, that, that guy that speaks into their life. Mm -hmm. And I'm not criticizing other, other presbyters or other guys that led before me, but they, they didn't practice, they didn't do that. So ministry, it, it's very important when you go into ministry that that you're you're an encourager and you, you lift up people around you. And so this this coming year, I'm really excited. We're going to go to the UK. We're going to help uh, Brother Hemus for a few weeks in London, and just to, to teach Bible studies to 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 reach people. And it, it's going to be a really a fun situation. Then naturally, we'll go on to Liverpool and and preach for them there in their, in their home church. And then Nan has got involved in 
she loves orphanages. And so Nepal, we're going to head to Nepal. I think it's in October of mm. this year. We're going to do ministry there. And there, if, if, if you really have a burden, opportunities are going to present themselves. Right. My home pastor, Papa Shoemake, said your gift will make room for itself. Mm. And that, that, that's, that's true. It will. But we need people in our life, mentors in our life, people in our life that promote us that push us, mm -hmm. that, that help us. Back in the day, Papa Kilgore, all the young ministers that came out of his church, I mean, he would promote them, call, but every, every pastor has a different philosophy on ministry. That's right. My philosophy on ministry is hands-on. Mm -hmm. I've always walked slowly among the sheep. I've always walked really slowly among the people. I've listened to the people. Some, some ministries, they hold themselves back, they're aloof. They, they don't want to get their hands dirty, as it were. And so they kind of they kind of stand, push the people back. But I've always had the opinion that if you're going to be a really successful pastor, you, you have to just get among the people. You've got to walk with them. You've got to love them. You've got to be, you know, you've got to be right there for them to be able to touch you. Right. And that's that's always been my philosophy on that. So you're talking about Sister Grandquist and how long you two have been married, 52 years. Uh, that is that is amazing. What a uh, what an amazing testimony your relationship is to the world, you know. And uh, it's you. so great to to see um, you two and following you on social media. You can just see that that you two are are still in love all these years later. And you know uh, we are we are. It it's it's so fun to to be in love with a person and and be with them that long. And see, Nan and I have been together before we got married. We dated for two years. And and so we've actually have 50, 54 years. And like I said earlier, I think we, we've celebrated 54 Valentine's Days together. That's so cool. And, and that, that's what, over half a century? Yeah, that's but amazing. It, it, it's, a really, it's a really fun journey when you're with the person you love. Yeah. When you're with it. And someone asked me, they said the other day, they said, what's the secret? The number one secret is patience. Hmm. The number one, the number two secret is tenderness. And then number three, listen, hmm. listen, listen to your wife, listen to what she has to say. And that it's, it's very, very simple. If, if you, if you look at marriage and look at a relationship, a long-term relationship in that light, just 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 be tender be kind be patient and listen yeah and nan and i nan and i are still we're still madly in love and that that's what makes it even even more fun yeah that is so cool and and seeing you two operate together in ministry is also just a, a wonderful thing to behold uh, your ministry and her ministry complement each other yeah. as well and and obviously that would develop over the years but uh, it, it's so great to see you and Sister Grandquist still ministering all these years later and having that passion to reach 52 years into ministry. That's yes. so, so cool. And, and what we've been doing this last year, we ministered out quite a bit here in the area and through the United States this last year. But what Nan and I are doing now is we share the pulpit. So I'll open the thought, she'll close the thought or vice versa. And I found that it really, really works well. Why? Because naturally women can relate to a woman and men normally relate 
easier to men. And so we're, we're, we're reaching, we're reaching uh, the men and the women in sharing the pulpit. And it, it's really, really fun to do it. It really is. I, I love it. That's I was great. ministering by Celia here a couple of weeks ago. And I said, now, I, I know you guys would rather hear my wife. Than my <laughs> and I, I, I said, now, remember the days of Brother Mangan and Sister Mangan. Uh, they, they wanted to hear Sister Mangan. I said, I, I know you guys are kind of in that vent. And man, they all started laughing. They said, oh, man, no, we want to hear you, too. It's like, but but it, it's, it's just so, and for me, ministry's always been uh, fun. Yeah. It, it really has. And are there heartaches in ministry? Absolutely. Do you, do you have some very discouraging moments? Yes, absolutely. Do you have heartbreaking moments? Absolutely. But as a whole, I've always loved to, to do ministry and, and to, to pastor. I've always loved it. So you're saying that about Sister Granquist, how they're more interested in hearing her speak. That's kind of similar to my wife and I will uh, travel out to a church and, and she'll be playing and, and, you know, my wife is a powerhouse on the piano and singing. All, all the phones yes, are out, people are worshiping. And then yes. I come up to preach and all the phones go away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. we, we are blessed yeah. to be married to, you know, wonderful women of God. Yeah, who who have powerful ministries in their own right. They they certainly do. Of course, Nan was she was in Denver here a couple of weeks ago, and man, the Lord really really used her. It was just mm -hmm. phenomenal. So they sent me a clip of her of her 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 ministry, her song, and I I just I sent it to everyone I knew, and I was just so proud of her because God has such a gifting and such an anointing on yeah. her life. Amen. And and when you go through great trials and great difficulties, which Nan and I have in the last three years, it, either you're gonna you're gonna come out better or you're gonna come out much worse. Mm -hmm. And with Nan and with myself, I feel like that we've come out a whole lot better. And the it seems like the anointing is is heavier. The the anointing of God is stronger than ever before. And we just we love we love ministry and love it together. So. You've been part of the Apostolic Church for decades. You're saying that you've been a licensed minister for 52 years. You've been right. evangelist, pastor, uh, presbyter. You've traveled across America, traveled across the world. What excites you about the church in 2022? What is it that, that excites you all these years later about the direction that the church is headed? Well, what excites me is I, there's, there's young men coming up like yourself and many others that, that are coming on and they're, they're, that that excites me because I believe the church has a greater future now than ever before. Hmm. So not only do you guys have the gifting and the anointing on you, but now you have a lot of the knowledge along with that. And I, like I said, I'm very proud of my wife. She's actually in a master's program at UGST in St. Louis. And I'm, I'm really thrilled about that because along with anointing it's good to have a little bit of a knowledge a little mm. bit of wisdom along with that and she was talking to one of the professors there the other day and she's the professor said do you realize that you're halfway through your master's program and you've got a b plus a minus average and then nan said well man i i didn't realize i had such a good grade point average and then nan said i think i want to get my doctorate <laughs> I'm not surprised. And I've got a nickname. I've got a nickname for my wife. I call her Nanny Bones. So yeah. I said, "Can you imagine, Doctor Nanny Bones?" 
So you're saying that um, what excites you about the church is the anointing and also the knowledge, you know, growing. And, and yes, and the young men like yourself that are coming on board. I mean, that that's that's exciting to me. That's encouraging to me. So what do you believe that the apostolic church needs to work on? What what are some areas that we can work on? Wow. Um, well, I I think the main area is to 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 really focus on winning people Mm. to to win people and my son-in-law up in santa rosa has done very very well chadwick king but how he really got that thing jump started in fact he's back to three services on sunday even after covid he's running about two thousand up there but what he's done is he in the early days he won so many of those people to the lord in Bible studies. There was a Mm -hmm. time he was teaching in a week, he was teaching 53 Bible studies, home Bible studies a week. That's incredible. And, and that's how he built the church. So if I could give some advice to, to, to people that are, that are wanting to go in ministry or wanting to pastor is, is get out there and win somebody, Mm. get out there and win the unchurched. And yes, we want the backslider to come home. Yes, we want the lukewarm to get on fire. But really, the real deal is we want the unchurched. We want people that know nothing about this. Right. We want people that are hungry, and there are a lot of hungry people out there. Mm-hmm. And, and we've been we've been reaching them through through Bible studies and 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 through these different means of of just connecting with them. So I I think that that would be for me that would be my advice is just just teach somebody reach somebody mm-hmm. win somebody yeah that would be my advice yeah personal evangelism is so important and because Absolutely. because when you do that not only are you teaching someone but in the same at the same time you're discipling them and they've Amen. built that relationship with you and they're more likely to stay in the church if they build that strong relationship through Bible right. study as well. And as you said earlier, there's nothing more invigorating than teaching someone a Bible study and seeing oh. their eyes open and the word of God being shared. It fills your tank as someone who is, is uh, involved in ministry. It fills your tank. Amen. And I think the reason why people don't try to, to, to reach people is they're afraid of rejection. Mm-hmm. They're afraid of being rejected. But really, I mean, that's just all part of it. And you, you, have to, you have to love someone to want to teach them the word regardless of whether they reject you or not. And, and that's so important that you work through that fear of rejection and just get out there and try to do it. Get out there and do it. Very important. Yeah, I agree. You've been preaching for, as we said before, uh, a number of decades and you've preached thousands of sermons, obviously. What are some pointers that you would give to preachers that you use for study and execution? What is, what is something that we can take home from, from this conversation and, and use? Here, here's what my home pastor taught me, Papa Shoemake. He said, son, he said, study, hmm. study. Get in the word, read the word. Let the word be absorbed in you. Get the word in you. He said, you study. And then he said this. He said, you get an hour's worth of material. 
and you preach it in 20 minutes and mm. people will love you if you'll do that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so there's there, now, now this is just me. So uh, this is the guy from the San Francisco Bay Area. If you guys don't like it, you can reject it. But here's the deal. Nobody likes a long winded preacher. Yeah. And you've got to really have a lot to say now with all the multimedia the way it is. I mean, you got to really be good if you're going to teach an hour's message or preach an hour's message. Mm-hmm. You got to be really good. Yeah, I agree. So don't try to preach masterpieces. If the greatest sermon that's ever preached has already been preached, it would have already been done. And so just 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 minister the word from your heart, mm. from your soul. And yes, you've studied. Yes, you've prayed. You put time and prayer in it. You put study into it. But then just give them your heart and don't take all day to do it. <laughs> that's so good. I love that advice, because especially in, in today's society, people will listen to long form podcasts, but while they're listening, they're doing all types of stuff. Whereas when you're at church, you can't be mowing the lawn, right. you can't be doing stuff around the house. That's right. Uh, That's right. You're, you're a captive audience. You're sitting there. So yeah, I, I, I'm a 30 minute preacher. God gives me 30 minute sermons. And every once in a while, I'll, I'll go a little bit above that, but yeah. pretty much that's it. <laughs> it doesn't matter how much notes I take down. It's a 30 minute sermon. <laughs> So later on this evening, I'm going to do my midweek on Zoom, and I, I've given them this this reassurance. I said, "Hey guys, it's going to be 20 minutes," <laughs> and and they they look forward to that because 20 minutes, guys. I'm going to give you a 20 minute lesson, and so in a little while here, I'm going to be teaching my bunch about 15 or 20 of them about a, a 20 minute message. I, I wanted to ask you this question, and I ask sure. it to pretty much everyone who comes on the podcast. So I love getting the, the answer to this question. What drives you when it comes to ministry? What is it is that is that driving force for you that has been that driving force for all these years? The driving force for me is knowing that I'm going to encourage someone. No, I'm, I'm going to lift somebody up. Mm. I'm going to tell somebody, come on, we can do this. Come on, let's go. Yep. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stay down. You know, you just be down for a minute. Come on back up. Don't, don't stay down. So my driving motivation is the fact I want to encourage somebody. I want to inspire somebody. I want to lift somebody. I want to help somebody get on the journey and keep going. Amen. Well, Brother Granquist, this has been an absolute honor for me to have you on the podcast, to have this conversation you. with you. And I want to thank you for setting aside your time this evening over in California to uh, talk to us, to be on the podcast I like to finish up these conversations by giving our guests the opportunity to share a word with the listeners, whatever you feel that God has laid on your heart, specifically for the listeners of the podcast. Thank you. Sure. So, so thank you for the opportunity for the Hackathon to be on this, this, uh, your podcast. I really appreciate this opportunity. It's an honor for me to be here. And we've always loved you, your wife, and of course, Gina Gretsch. She's a she's an angel. I, I love her. She's so yeah, she amazing. Is. So it, it's an honor to be here with you guys. So let me just give you a quick thought. Love takes time. Mm-hmm. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, Jesus said unto them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. But he refuses. He, he doesn't stop there. He refuses to stop there. He gives them one more command. He added another, love your neighbor as yourself. 
So what is Jesus doing here? Jesus is setting love as the highest value in his kingdom of economy. His kingdom's economy, the highest value in his whole kingdom is love. But here's the deal. Love is painfully time-consuming. All husbands, wives, parents, most long-term friends know this because love takes time. Mm -hmm. It consumes time. There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts to having a great love affair, to having a great marriage, to having a a, a great walk with God. It, it, It takes time. Love takes time. And it takes an enormous amount of time and it takes a lot of love to do it well. So love is incomplete. It's incompatible with hurry. Love and hurry, they are like oil and water. They just don't mix. Love takes time. I've already said it takes time for me. 52 years married to the same woman, 52 years, it takes time. It takes a lot of time. It's been said that God walks slowly because he is love. Love's speed is slow. It's not fast, it's slow. There's a reason why people talk about walking with God, but you never hear anybody say running with God. You walk with God, you walk slowly with God. And in that, in that walk, he speaks things into your spirit, into your heart, into your soul, because you're walking slowly with him. Don't get in a hurry in your relationship with God. Don't get in a hurry in building a great church. It takes time. Love takes time. And so because we walk with God and we don't run with God, we have time to hear what God says because God is love.